Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this conversation with Bill Hall, the president of Simulation Studios, we talk about what led him to start Simulation Studios and how he approaches organizational transformation. He used to be part of a band and then deciding to go to college and then getting an opportunity to do some work for Apple and one thing leading to another, getting into roles that needed him to turn around organizations. He talks about the importance of getting people to be behind the turnarounds and uh, the trigger and the inspiration for him to start Simulation Studios. The importance of unlearning in a turnaround situation along with relearning as well as new learning. He talks about the challenges of changes in an organization that is spread across teams, geographies, etc and how technology should not come in the way of learning. The team and learning architectures for transformation is something important that he touches upon as well. And the relevance or the utility of using tools like MBTI for profiling and uh, how he got into simulations or games as he also calls them. And we talk about how a typical sim session looks like and what would be some of the attributes of an effective sim. He mentions the metrics that need to be identified to justify the investments for a turnaround. Listen on. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Hi, Shiv. Thank you for having me and really appreciate your time. Yeah, I'm really excited to understand your career trajectory and the exciting things that you've been doing. So we can start with your origin story and then how you got associated with technology and the kind of things that you do, and then take it from there. Sure. Yeah, sounds great. Um, again, thank you for having me. It's it's really great to be here. So um, my story, it's 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 kind of a bit of an unusual story, I guess. Um, I'm not going to go back to the days I was born or anything. I'm not going to bore people with any of that, but, um, you know, it, I, I was the type of student going through high school that, um, school was, was, I wanted to do things. I didn't necessarily want to just sit and theorize in a book and listen to a, to a, to a teacher the whole time. So, um, so high school was, was tough. I didn't wind up going straight into college out of high school. Funny enough, I actually toured in a band as a drummer for a number of years, which is great. I wouldn't trade that experience for, for anything. But then one day I woke up and realized, oh my gosh, I'm off track. I need to get, I need to get into college. I need to get where I think I need to go. So I actually finished my, um, my four years um, in two years, about two, two and a half years, uh, my undergraduate degree. But during that time, I actually worked for, um, for Apple in college, which was a great experience um, and continued to work for them for a lot of years um, after that. Um, one day, 
just decided I wanted to do something different. So I turned to notice and went to do high-tech turnarounds. Mm. So that included um, a stint at, I don't know if these are exact order, but AOL, Nortel, Skype. And turnarounds are great um, for one reason. Uh, if it doesn't go well, you can blame the person in front of you. <laughs> that, that made it you know, kind of problematic. Uh, but they're also incredibly challenging. And the hard part about turnarounds is you may have a great strategy um, as an executive, but if you can't align the people behind that strategy, mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to execute and it's really hard to get the company to where it needs to go in a very short amount of time. And um, that's kind of what led me to do Simulation Studios because um, what I learned as an executive is if I can give people the experience of kind of the what, the why, and the how, the what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how they fit in using experiential learning, which is simulations, then it accelerates change um, with far less, far less friction. So that's kind of the, the shortest version of, of how I got here and, and how I started Simulation Studios. Mm, wonderful. It's a couple of things which uh, are kind of interesting to understand is that um, working in the technology space, mm -hmm. everybody kind of needs to accept change. Yes. But like you Definitely. mentioned, any organizational change, particularly <laughs> the uh, when you're on the rebound and you're the uh, kind of turnarounds, yep. there is a lot of unlearning to do as well. Yes, that's actually a really important point. And I don't think anyone, I think you're the first person outside of this industry that I'm in that really has very quickly articulated that and, and you know, kind of learned that and, and noticed it so quickly. You're absolutely right. There's some things that need to be unlearned. There's some things that need to be relearned. And there's new things that need to be learned and most importantly applied. I guess for all those three categories, it's really about what you need to know, when you need to know it, and how you're going to use that knowledge. And that's the applied component of it. You're exactly right. We all have habits that we don't even realize that we have that we're doing. And you talked about change. You know, you mix that having to unlearn and, and relearn skills. When you mix that with kind of a resistance to change, which is, you know, very natural human um, reaction to, to things. Um, that's a, that could be a tough mix for change within an organization because you might be applying the wrong knowledge at the wrong time and resistant to do it. So yeah, spot on. That's, that's a really important point. Yeah. So how do you approach this? Usually all these technology initiatives are all you know, teamwork based. Yeah, they are yeah. You know, work of teams. And then these teams sometimes spanning across organizations, which means across <laughs> cultures, across geographies, whatever else. So how yeah, do you um, handle that? That that's that's um, it's it's very true, and and these initiatives are not small. You know, the the ones that I that I work on most of the time, they're huge. You know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of employees trying to change. Um, you know, we'll put it: the average change is you know three years. A change management initiative is anywhere from one to three years in most cases for companies that large. Um, and so the way you do that is, you know, I've talked about utilizing sims, and this is where you, you take something that's highly, highly technological, right? A simulation is very complicated, but you have to combine it with the human element. And that's where you talk about the team aspect of it. I'd even go one layer lower, you know, you know, team is, team is a, a few layers above the basic instinct human level, right? So what you have to do is you have to utilize technology in a way that does not get in the way of the learning. And that's where I see a lot of 
companies make mistakes. They will try to bring technology in to a level that's both overly complicated as well as just for an extreme purpose, I'll call it inhuman. And it's not that it's inhuman <laughs> as, in, as in detrimental. It's human as in it's so technologically centric that there's no room for the human element there. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. You, you got you to gotta find a way where the technology can enhance the human kind of natural behavior to change and, and knowledge application. And that's, that's the important mix. Now, how specifically um, that can be a challenge because each corporate culture is so different. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, you'd be surprised at how open people are to utilizing technology if they know it's for their benefit and it's not overcomplicated. Um, people really gravitate towards that pretty quickly. Yeah, probably a related thing is usually when someone says they are into technology or technical things, uh, they like the charm or the challenge of technology. Not to label right. them, but then probably more like introverts or they like to go and then get things done. But when it comes to transformation or even changes, you need Mm -hmm. to work with people. How do you use technology Mm -hmm. to enable that or establish real connections? Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really insightful and important point. You you absolutely have to enable the the what what would you just call the team element, the, the, the team aspect of the whole thing. So the way that's done in most of the sims we run is um Oh, man, I'd say probably all the Sims for the most part. Very, very few number are not like this. But anyway, um, is you you take the Sim, but then you bring groups of people in to run the Sim, and and that, those groups are broken up into subgroups. So you take I'm going to pick a number and say 25 or so. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's kind of director and above inside the company. Depends on the company. Depends on what you know. Mm-hmm. Director in one company means director in a different company. But anyway. So, um, so you take, you take the directors above more kind of executive level positions and you bring 25 or so in at a time and you break the, that 25 up into five teams of five. Okay. Now that when you break up that team, that's a really important exercise because you got to think about what I call the team architecture. And I almost, um, take it one level deeper, which is the, the learning architecture, because the SIM is great. It's a great tool. It's great for engagement, but what it's really good at and what people need to remember when they utilize these tools is that these tools are a catalyst to learn and apply. They don't do the teaching themselves, right? It's that team aspect that does the teaching, uh, that, that does the teaching. So let me give an example. You take five, the 25 people and you break them up into teams. When you look at that team or that learning architecture, you have to think about on that team of five, do you have someone from finance, someone from marketing, someone from operations, someone from sales, someone from strategy on that team. But then you got to think about it another layer, which is what geo are they from? Because you really want to cross pollinate this because everybody has something to teach each other, right? Then you take it a really down to a root level, which is if you do any sort of behavioral assessments, personality type testing, Myers-Briggs, strength finders, things like that. Um, you got to think about that team architecture. You know, my day of going through exec ed, it was Myers-Briggs, which I know is you know, by today's standards, not the most modern, um, but I was an ENFJ. So, you know, I think by speaking and it's a terrible habit. I know it's an awful habit, right? But mix me with an introvert and I need to shut up because I need to give time for that introvert to process. 
that's where that team architecture is so important, that teamwork, because we all have things that we can teach each other, right? Mm. At the same time, we all have to bend our own personality, our own communication style to be able to let the pollination of learning happen across geos, across teams, across functions, across personalities. That's, that's the gift that a technological sim in its most simple form can enable is scenarios that let everybody do that cross learning and, um, and change pollination. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Pretty kind of. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, in my career, I used to be more of what you may call as a line function directly mm -hmm. people and executing things and all that. And there was a point when uh, it became more of an enabling function. Mm -hmm. where it is about supporting other teams and then bringing in organizational change and all that. And there yep. was probably a period of about two years over which um, it's probably a slight shift, but from being an INTJ, I become an INFJ. Mm -hmm. okay. you, you, said you, you said you shifted from E to I? No, no INTJ to INFJ. From thinking to feeling. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, it happens. Most people think that a lot of people who haven't been through this, they think that those personality types are kind of like woven forever and they're not at all. Mm -hmm. You you can, especially if you have, you know, a light strength or a right, I don't know what they call it, not, not strength, um, basically how intense you are in that personality type. Mm -hmm. If you're relatively light, you can kind of cross over to another, um, another, another area. When I was in college, I took the test and I was like a ESTP or something. I can't remember, okay. but I definitely shifted as I became an, more of an adult. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, it happens. Yeah. You, you, you work with people and I think over time you kind of become more compassionate and patient and that changes the personality types. So how did you get into simulation? From um, working in technology companies? Yeah. So how did I get, you know, so what actually ended up happening is I was at Skype. And um, I was running strategy um, for strategic, I guess it called initiatives, which is new products that we were developing because there was existing product, which I had to manage that as well. But <clears throat> I also had to create brand new solutions to try to grow Skype. And I had a team of, oh, I want to say it was three, I think it was 362 under me rolling up. And um I was having a rough time trying to get, and I lived overseas and I was relatively young for someone in that mm -hmm. position. Right. And I was having a rough go of trying to get everybody on board to where we needed to go. And it had happened before with AOL and, and Nortel. I felt the same way. So I started writing tools, games, let's just call it what it is. You know, mm -hmm. simulation is a fancy word for game. Right. So I wrote some games that um, allowed my top 25 or so employees to kind of run through my vision of what I thought this division of Skype or the, the Skype needed to be. And it was amazing. It, it, mm. it was like a, a, a light bulb came on when I watched them do this, because by the time they got out, they were asking me, okay, now what can we do to get to where we got to in the game? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, my, my, my take of my aha from that was we were what we were, where we were, and by playing this one day game or so, all of a sudden they were trying to get to where we needed to go to. Hmm. And now that, that was a total game changer. So then I like 
technology and software. And I'm a freak because I can code, I can facilitate, and, but yeah, you know, I can run a business too. Um, and I just started doing work at night, writing code. The latest sim I have has, I want to say about 98,000 equations in it. So it's not small. Mm-hmm. It's, it's brain food. I like doing it. And that's kind of how it came to be. Yeah. Kind of unusual. It's kind of accidental actually. Okay. So what does a typical sim session look like? Is that something that is customized for a context or is there standard things that you have just assemble them together like Legos or? So to say to the the idea of me taking an existing sim, which, so the answer is yes, we have both ready to go and a lot of custom tailored stuff. Um, the ready to go obviously is popular because it's, it's, it's a low barrier to entry. Um, no, even that needs to be kind of adjusted a little bit. The idea of being able to take something perfectly canned and drop it into a, you know, 200,000 person org and it magically works is a bit of kind of unicorns and fairies and <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't work that great. Right. It's kind of an awkward fit. Mm-hmm. So most of the time there's a very light amount of, um, I don't want to call it customization, just adjustment that needs to happen. And then it drops in. Then there's tailored, um, which is where we take an existing sim and we tailor it, you know, a little bit more deeply. And then there's full-blown custom. What I will say here is I'm not a fan of custom. Mm-hmm. My experience is people put too much emphasis on the sim where the sim is a catalyst to help people learn and teach each other. It should not be the core of the change initiative or the core of the training program. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. So I'm kind of a fan of the ready to go that's either adjusted or the ready to go that's tailored. That tends to be the greatest price point, doesn't get in the way of learning. You know, I've done sims for um, Corn Ferry and I think um, they even did a review on LinkedIn about the, th- the reason why they like using sim studios is we make sure to use the sim as it needs to be used as opposed to just writing a great big sim just for the sake of writing a great big sim and having this monster solution people forget what they're doing while they're doing it etc cetera, etc cetera. focus small tight simple applicable that's kind of the way to go and so most of the time it's the ready to go and the um and the tailored that that tends to work well so when you run a sim Mm-hmm. Are there specific learning objectives or specific patterns that you navigate them through or do they discover that as they go along? So yes and no, of course, all my answers need to be that way, <laughs> sorry. But the, the, the strong emphasis is yes. So what happens is most of the time, um, a business unit manager or a CEO or a chief operating officer, someone will call and say, hey, you know, we, we, have, a, we have this initiative that we're trying to accelerate, this change initiative, trying to accelerate. Um, either that or the head of learning will call me because um, I'm a huge fan, really almost, I almost require it, which is these sims need to fit inside of a, a training program or a leadership development program. If you try to run them out of like the strategy group, ah, it, it, yeah, it fits. It's just kind of awkward somehow. It's better if it fits inside of a leadership development, executive development program. So, so it usually fits in that. So yes, these sims will be encapsulated by a... Um, some sort of learning objectives. Now, that being said, one of the first things I say when I open up one of these programs is this is your learning journey. You're being the participants. Everyone's going to learn something different because it's, it's so experience-based that the idea that we're going to jam, um, you know, one very complicated learning objective 
is a little unrealistic. Everyone's going to learn similar stuff, but they're definitely going to have different takeaways from it just due to common different human experiences and their job roles and things like that. But it's almost entirely encapsulated inside the learning objectives. Like learning objectives are the core. The sim wraps around that and the facilitation helps participants apply it back to their jobs. So two questions triggered by that. One, everyone says that all that is fine, that I am unique or our organization is unique. We are very different. So when you say that I'm going to come to you with some things that are fairly standard, how do you address mm-hmm. that? And the follow on question is, um, because this is all probably sounding a little uh, theoretical or saying experience you will learn later. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you communicate the value of doing something like this? Yep. Okay. So let me, let me attack one first, which is, um, every org is different. Every, even every division inside the org is different. And even every group inside of a division inside of an org is different, right? It's funny how they all have kind of an underpinning of commonality in terms of personality traits, but they're all, it's almost like a family, you know, everyone's got these similarities, but everyone's got their own personality type. So the, the way, the way this, the, the way the SIM kind of wraps around those differentiations is um, a lot of it's through facilitation. Um, a lot of these I facilitate, if not all of them, I, I try to, you know, I've tried to keep Sim Studios really, really small because I don't have an interest in, in a big org anymore. I've done that. I'm good. Um, I like the personal service stuff. Um, so a lot of it's through the facilitation. It's how you take what they're doing and apply it back. But also that component that I was talking about where there is a bit of tailoring or a bit of adjusting, there's, there are certain, you know, we'll say five to 10 different things or levers, components, models that can be changed inside the SIM that will make it 80% accurate to their particular um, objectives. Plus a lot of the times when you go through change initiative, it, it's not necessarily the business entirely. I mean, it can be, and that's where the custom stuff comes in. Um, maybe a, a software company is trying to suddenly switch to hardware. That's a pretty tectonic shift hmm. that you're going to need a tailored or a custom SIM for that. Um, but a lot of the times it's a strategic refocusing that needs to happen. And that's almost entirely behavioral and that can be done pretty easily. Okay. So the second question was, remind me what it was again. (laughs) Yeah. How do you articulate the value of? Yes, that's right. Okay. So yeah, as much as I wish I could say, if you buy this, you will have 30% more sales in two quarters, right? Um, and I know, I know my competitors do that. Um, I'm not comfortable doing that. And the reason why is when you go inside of a large company, any company more than honestly, 50 people, I'll go extreme. Um, there are so many moving parts, you know, you have sales changes, you have, you know, sales organization changes, you have microeconomic things, macroeconomic things. There's just so many things moving in any given quarter or year that, for me to be able to say, oh yeah, I definitely added this dollar value. Mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable doing, but what I can tell you is that I am big on, on analytics. And so what we'll do is we'll do a pre sample. So we'll sample the group and say, for example, let's say the learning objective is business acumen. How you know, we'll ask 10 or so questions that measure business acumen mm-hmm. confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Then we measure it afterwards. And the differences are staggering. It's usually at, on, a, on a very minimal basis, double the scores um, in, yeah. in a one-day program. That's how we usually measure value. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Uh, Good. So do they uh, wait for that long? Because usually if you go through a procurement or uh, even probably mm-hmm. training, 
they would say mm -hmm. that if I'm going to invest so much, how do I justify mm -hmm. internally? Yeah, right. Most of the time, the way that's done, for, at least for what I do, is you know we'll get we'll get the call. I'll get a call from a more executive level inside the company. Um, they will have gone through an experience in a past life of theirs, whether mm -hmm. it's in college or another company or another division or whatnot, and they will have they will have experienced the benefit of it themselves. So usually it's executive sponsored. And if an exec wants to spend the money, then an exec's allowed to spend the money because the one, yeah. they're the ones that are calling and they're right. the ones that sign the check. Right. Uh, that's usually how it is done. Also, I, I have told people that if, if you know, we don't get these metrics, then you get your money back and we, we will agree on what the metrics are. Okay. So there, there is a bit of safety there for them. So related to this, going back to something that I asked earlier as well is... Um, the role of a leader in this mm -hmm. kind of a turnaround or any change that you bring in, mm -hmm. uh, the from probably being an individual contributor and one takes on a leadership role and then taking on a larger role, taking the team with you. So does simulation help there? This is more about from the individual's perspective. You mentioned that mm -hmm. uh, these uh, sims work very well with behavioral kind of learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I have been pretty much an individual contributor or I've been running mm -hmm. a very really small team, now suddenly mm -hmm. I'm faced with uh, much bigger challenges, mm -hmm. operate at a larger scale. Yep. Behaviorally, are there things that I can learn through simulations? Yes, that's a great question. And um, I'm going to back up a little bit because I should have mentioned this before because I think it is an important aspect. Um, I've, in my career i've had some pretty spectacular failures right i asked him how simulations help with individual contributors taking up transformational leadership roles the answer to this question and more in the next episode when bill starts talking about some failures he had faced in his career We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.